0: Hey guys, welcome to Fiction Fixation. Every week we get together to recap a different book or movie.
1: We're not here to rate or review stories. We're here to talk about the characters and the situations they find themselves in. We're your hosts. I'm Courtney. And
0: I'm Rose. What are we talking about this week, Courtney?
1: We are talking about um, a movie called A Fault in Our Stars, which is based on a novel by John Green with the same title.
0: I was surprised by this movie because I was like, okay, how are we going to roast two kids with cancer? That's not going to go over well. But um, we didn't have to because there's a lot of other ridiculous stuff that happens. They do
1: it themselves. (laughs) Yeah,
0: they roast life themselves.
1: As a teenager dying of cancer, like, go for it.
0: Go for it. (laughs) Yeah. If you know you're going
1: to die, I think there's a freedom in that. By the time the consequences of your actions catch up with you, you're probably going to be dead.
0: Yeah. She's gone. She didn't pay for her meal. Well, she died at the table. Okay. So have a little consideration. (laughs) Have a little consideration. Okay. Don't be so selfish.
1: Yeah. So we have Hazel and she's 17 years old. She has thyroid cancer that spread to her lungs and now she's on 24-7 oxygen.
0: There was something I wanted to say, and now I wonder if it's insensitive, because what I was going to say is that she has the most soothing voice and the most epic vocal fry. Do you know what a vocal fry is? No. It's when people's voices kind of, like, crackle. Yes, no. So Hazel is portrayed by
1: Shailene Woodley, Mm -hmm. and I really like Shailene Woodley. Yeah, her voice. Uh, Like, in general, like, I think she would hate me. Mm -hmm. Like, she would probably shove me in front of a bus, but I really like her.
0: So I think she has a great voice but what I'm saying is that I was like man she has an epic vocal fry like you know the uh, like that kind of yeah. shakiness to her voice mm-hmm. and now I'm thinking oh crap it's because her lungs don't work probably
1: <laughs> Well maybe in the movie yeah but like in real life she still has that voice and she's not dying of cancer
0: Yeah poor Hazel I mean 17 She's struggling with this. She has to walk around with an oxygen tank, and mm-hmm. she needs oxygen around the clock to be able to breathe.
1: Yeah. She's at the doctor's office, and they're going over some test results, and they're discussing her treatment. And the doctor says that they're going to put her on an antidepressant, either Zoloft or Lexapro. Shout out to
0: Lexapro. Hey, hey, Lexapro. Why haven't you sponsored us yet? are you Are you ashamed of us? Are you ashamed to be uh represented by two are you ashamed of the monsters you've created? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, the doctor suggests that adding the antidepressants and upping them to twice a day, and Hazel just says, "You know what? Just keep them coming. Just why stop there? Add some more. Yeah. And then the doctor suggests that she should probably go to a support group for dying cancer patients. Her mom
0: is just is telling the doctor, I think she's depressed. I think she's depressed. And Hazel's like, they keep thinking that the depression is a side effect of the cancer. But really, the depression is just a side effect of dying. Like, can I die In peace? Like, Jesus Christ. Like, you want me to be happy about dying? Like, can I just be sad about it? (laughs) I know. Can I be sad about the fact that I'm dying? Like, they want her to be happy. And so, you know, I understand her mom's perspective. Her mom feels like these might be the last years of her life and she's spending it on the couch reading the same book over and over again.
1: Yeah, I do. As a mother, she wants her daughter to be happy in her final days. Yeah. And Hazel just wants. To be left
0: alone in the darkness with her goddamn book. Yeah, as we all do. Same, Hazel, same.
1: You know, I, that's a lot of like heavy shit for like a teenager. I know. That she has to deal with the inevitability that she is going to die and soon. Yeah. um, And also that in her dying, she's going to hurt her parents. Yeah. And that's a lot of heavy stuff that she has to worry about dying and keeping her parents happy until then.
0: Yeah. It kind of makes you think about what people with chronic illnesses go through. Mm -hmm. They're not just carrying the burden of their illness, but they're also carrying the burden of how their illness affects the people around them.
1: Yeah. So even though Hazel doesn't want to go to the support group, she goes to placate her mom. And while she's there, she meets Augustus Gus Waters.
0: Augustus Gus. Is his middle name Gus or is Gus uh, short for Augustus?
1: Gus, Gus is short for Augustus.
0: They have a meet cute, okay? Yes. They bump into each other mm-hmm. and she looks up and she sees this really tall. He's tall. Yes, he is. He has to be like 6'5 because he he towers over her dad.
1: And he's adorable, too. He's tall, but he has, like, this baby face.
0: And it's, like, baby face guys usually don't have a lot of, like, swag or, like, sex appeal. But this guy does.
1: He has a whole lot of swagger.
0: Mr. Gus, if you needed to know, is wearing a brown leather jacket and has all the swag of someone who cheated death and has one leg left to prove it. Gus
1: is 18 years old, and he is a cancer survivor. However, he lost his leg with his cancer
0: and but the funny thing is sh- they bump into each other and then and then they go oh sorry and then he walks off and he walks right into a door
1: <laughs> and then she runs into the bathroom to like fluff her hair and yeah. wipe her face and
0: get pretty real quick she knows
1: she yeah girl you know what hazel get you- go get your man
0: so he's he's there really in support of his best friend which is really nice mm
1: mm-hmm. mhm Gus says that his cancer is in remission and he's just there to support his friend who is soon having surgery to remove his remaining eye due to cancer.
0: But dude, when they're sitting, when they're, they're all sitting in a circle because it's a cancer support group. So they're all sitting yeah. in a circle and they take turns sharing how they feel. The whole time they're sitting in this circle sharing about their feelings, Gus is staring at her.
1: He's making hella googly eyes at Hazel. He really is. Hazel is, despite her blushing and getting pretty and floofing her hair. She's making bitch-fight-me eyes at him. She is not making googly eyes, I guess.
0: Well, I think she has a resting bitch face in general. She's not. She has a very like, yeah. kind of somber expression about her. And so he's staring at her with googly eyes, and she's just, like, glaring back at him.
1: I think he even winks at her at one point And she just... Just full glare where Hazel is a storm cloud. Um, Augustus is a ray of sunshine. He is. Yeah.
0: The support meeting ends and Hazel goes out to the parking lot and she witnesses Mm -hmm. just this gross PDA between this random guy and this random girl. Or actually the guy was in the support group. He was one of the guys in the support group.
1: Yeah, he is Gus's friend.
0: Yeah, Gus's friend is seeing a lot of action because he has a hot girlfriend and they're making out in the parking lot. Uh,
1: they are sickening. They are that couple who is s- like sick in love with each other. Yeah, and they're like always,
0: always,
1: <laughs> always.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Gus comes up beside Hazel, and mm-hmm. he tells her, "Yeah, they're uh, they're pretty disgusting, aren't they?" And Hazel's like, "Why do they keep saying always?" And Gus is like, "Well, that's kind of their thing. That's like their love thing."
1: Yeah, they don't say I love you, they just say always. Yeah. Gus looks at Hazel and says, "So what's your full name?" And my first thought was immediately, "Are you trying to like steal her identity? Like,
0: <laughs> do you want my social, too?" <laughs> yeah, like that's my
1: mother's maiden name. I don't It just, it's so weird because she has exchanged approximately 10 words with this dude. Mm -hmm. And he's like full name, first, middle, last.
0: Hazel notices that Gus is not looking at the PDA couple anymore. He's looking at her and he's been staring at her for a hot minute. He is into her. Yeah, he is into her. He calls
1: her beautiful and he is like, let's go see a movie. She's like,
0: like tomorrow? He's like, no, right now. Let's go. Let's go watch a movie. Yeah.
1: Like all of the audacity and I
0: love it. No, he is shooting his shot straight off the bat.
1: But you know what? I guess when you're dying, you you have that sense of urgency to where, like, you will miss every shot you don't take because you're going to die.
0: That's so true. I didn't think about it that way where it's like he knows what it feels like to have that urgency. So it's not like, oh, let's plan mm-hmm. a date for next Tuesday at 2. It's like, no, I might be dead or you might be dead yeah. because we're cancer patients. We need to have this day today.
1: Yeah. And... Then Gus, Mr. Swag himself, pulls out a cigarette and puts it to his lips. And Hazel mm. just flips her lid. She is like, you were doing so good. Yeah. That is disgusting. Then you had to go and ruin it. Yeah.
0: It's a personal affront for her because, I mean, this poor girl barely has one working, half a working lung left. And she has to mm-hmm. walk around with oxygen. And she's like, are you kidding me right now? You're a smoker?
1: Yeah. And Gus explains he's like, "No, I don't actually like them. It's a metaphor. <laughs> you put the killing thing between your lips and then you don't give it the power to kill you. I think Hazel's still a little confused, but she's like, "Okay, that checks out." He asks her again let's let's go watch a movie." When her mom pulls up to take her home, she's like, "Hey, baby, are you ready?" And Hazel says, You know, I think I'm gonna go watch a movie with Gus.
0: Hmm. Yeah, the mom is like surprisingly chill. Like seeing her daughter who is on oxygen 24 seven, wanting to go hang out with a this six foot five, just leather jacket wearing cigarettes holding boy. She's like, it's like baby live. Mama's like, go live, baby girl. I think she's happy that
1: Hazel is doing something normal that a normal teenage girl would do. I think if Hazel were to go home and tell her mom she was going to a keg party in a field,
0: her mom would be down for it. So Hazel goes with Gus to his place Mm -hmm. and he drives. He is a terrible driver.
1: Yes. He tells her that he failed his driver's test three times. And on the fourth time, the instructor said, while your driving is unpleasant, it's not technically unsafe.
0: (laughs) I don't know about that because he runs over his neighbor's trash cans, like not just bumps them, but just kind of like he really hits them and he doesn't even flinch.
1: The car bumps over them. Hazel and Gus get back to his place. He introduces her to his parents very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I mean, hey, mom. Hey, dad. This is Hazel. We're going downstairs to my bedroom. And they're like, okay, honey, have fun.
0: Parenting a kid with cancer is apparently very different. The boundaries do not seem to exist.
1: <laughs> uh, honestly, good for them. <laughs> what, you know what? If your kid's dying and the worst thing you have to worry about right now is your kid dying. Like, honestly, what are the other worst case scenarios here? I know. Hazel and Gus are in his room and they start talking favorite things in books Her favorite book is called An Imperial Affliction.
0: Remember that book that her mom was worried about her because she keeps reading the same book over and over again? Yeah. The book is about cancer and dying.
1: Yeah. So he gives her his favorite book and he's like, hey, like I'll read Imperial Affliction. You read this one.
0: For the next few days, Hazel waits on edge. We have a montage of her checking her phone to see if he's called her. And he hasn't. So it's like day after day, she's checking her phone. Yeah. And he hasn't texted her. And I could imagine that's such, I mean, they bonded over books and they had a connection. And he seemed really into her and that he doesn't text her for several days. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know, Gussie, where, where's where's that urgency? You know what I mean? Where did it go? Yeah. You know, you're not scared that she died in between you like doing whatever you were doing over the past few days. Speaking of morbid
1: things, um, this is probably going to make a whole lot of people like hate, hate me, like hate, hate. I read the last page of every single book I've ever read first. It's so if I die, I know how it ends,
0: even if it doesn't make sense. Okay. But how has that helped you? You just feel prepared to die at any point of reading the book? No, I
1: just don't want to be a ghost that haunts somewhere because I don't know how a book ends. So I don't I don't want that unfinished business, you know?
0: All I do is create unfinished business so that I have a reason to either not die or come back as a ghost. That is just my personal philosophy in life. You you say <laughs>
1: I'm like morbid and you just leave things hanging to bribe yourself to not
0: die. I know. I just need a a tether to this world to keep me here.
1: <laughs> I want to come back as a ghost, but I also want to like keep that straight line to the light open. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be able to dip when things start getting crazy in the living world. You know, crazier. Yeah. Um, finally, Gus texts Hazel. Yeah, and he is raging because this book that she recommended for him to read. Ends in the middle of a sentence.
0: See, that author knows what he's doing. He's like, I didn't finish my published book. I can't possibly die. He's going to live forever.
1: And then he published it.
0: (laughs) I know he published it. Gus is saying like, hey, I didn't ghost you. I've just been busy reading your book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wanted to wait until I finished to text you. But Hazel, when she's on the
1: phone with Gus, she hears like a commotion in the background. Yeah. And Gus's friend from support group, the Always Boy, he is there and he um, he appears to be going through something at the moment. And Gus just like, put, like pulls the phone away from his mouth and goes, hey, does support group Hazel make things better or worse? <laughs> and then he's like, you know what, Hazel, just come over here. The door's open.
0: Yeah. So he invites Hazel over. She comes over and Gus's friend. From support group. Um, this guy is losing it because apparently his girlfriend, the always girl that they were having the sappy PDA, mm-hmm. she broke up with him because she can't face the fact that he's going to be blind after his surgery. Hazel wants to be
1: supportive. You know, Gus's friend is going through something and she wants to be supportive, but she's also dying to discuss <laughs> this book with her, to discuss yeah. her favorite book with somebody.
0: I know. She's so excited that Gus read it. And so they Mm kind of start discussing it right there as Gus's friend is like breaking shit behind them.
1: It's such a different mood. Those people are three people in the same room, two very different emotions.
0: I feel like this scene is a metaphor for them holding it together while like the anger is just barreling through them that the an- that the cancer is robbing them of their lives it's almost like oh here we are having this normal conversation we're just calm people and on the inside they're breaking shit
1: yeah on the inside they're just raging yeah no that's probably true
0: We do get a dating montage, which I loved. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer together. Nice. They were talking on the phone until 1 a.m. And they were doing that thing where, like, neither one of them wants to hang up. And so Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, we should hang up. And he's like, okay. And she's like, okay. And he goes, maybe okay can be our always. And she just says, okay. (laughs) Okay. I love when you take a mundane word and then you attach feelings to it. Mhm. I like it. That's my jam. I it's so
1: cute. Honestly, if I could find a way to bottle this kind of teenage angst, I, I would be a millionaire. Like, do you remember that teenage angst? You know, I do. like that
0: Ugh, there is nothing like it Me in this too. world. I know. Um, well, there's like it's a purity because you just think that it's everything and anything that you will ever go through in life is happening right in this moment, when in reality Mm -hmm. it's kind of so insignificant in the grand scheme. Maybe not for these kids because they're going to die soon, so.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, there's that too, the whole dying thing.
0: Gus, being the audacity king that he is, Mm -hmm. he tracked down the author of Hazel's favorite book, he tracked down the assistant, got a hold of her, and through her, got the author's email and emailed him. Gus emailed this author and
1: he tells Hazel, who is just beside herself. Because he responded, the author responded. Yes, he responded. And so she's beside herself. And then she asks Gus for the email address, which he, of course, gives. Yeah. And we have this little mini montage of like date moments, and it's super cute. Yeah. As Hazel reads the email to Gus that she's sending to this author,
0: she's basically telling the author how much the book means to her mm-hmm. and how badly she wants to know what happens in the end because. The book, like we said, it ends mid-sentence. It ends very abruptly. Mm -hmm. And she just has questions about what happened to the characters.
1: Yeah, she said that it's widely assumed that the narrator in the book either, one, got too sick to continue sharing her story, or two, she died. Yeah. But there's all these other questions that... Hazel wants the answers to, and they're not, like, huge literary questions. I guess this girl in the book had a hamster. She wants to know what happened to the hamster.
0: She wants all these little loops closed. Understandable.
1: And so Hazel wrote an email to this author, and he writes her back. Yeah. He tells her that he can't answer the questions because he's afraid that she'll publish it and share it on the internet. But if she were to ever find herself in Amsterdam to swing by his house and he will answer all of her questions for her.
0: The author is like, yeah, I know you're dying and Mm -hmm. you have very simple questions about this book, but I really can't risk you using this email as receipts against me. Yeah. But if your dying ass ever makes it to Amsterdam, Mm -hmm. let me know. She takes this as an invitation to go to Amsterdam to meet him, and I'm like, it, it wasn't really an invitation.
1: Listen, she's dying. She doesn't have time left. And you know what if If this girl wants to use her last few good days to drag her ass over to a different country across a fucking ocean to get answers yeah. from a book, you know what I respect that? You do that. you yeah. you go. Um And so she calls for her mom And she doesn't just go and ask her mom She screams like, mom, mom And her mom, obviously, as the parent of a dying child Thinks something's wrong She rushes into her room And Hazel explains the email and the response And then poor mom has to break it to Hazel That they just can't
0: afford to go to Amsterdam Dude, it's so it's so heartbreaking Because this is the first thing that Hazel has been truly excited for mm-hmm. and her mom has to be like, honey, it's a logistical nightmare. Like getting your your equipment mm-hmm. on the plane, making sure you have enough equipment. It's just, there's no feasible way to do this.
1: Yeah. And it, even, even if she didn't need to carry all this equipment and it was just like medication, the cost of... Getting to Amsterdam, staying in Amsterdam, you know, flights, hotel, meals, that's a significant cost. And her parents have been paying for cancer treatment for their child for years.
0: I know. Oh, God. This is when they say, like, money can't buy happiness. And it's like, okay, but in certain cases, it can certainly fucking, like, help. Help. Yeah. Yeah. When Hazel tells Gus that, you know, she can't go to Amsterdam because she can't afford it, he's like, oh, that's easy. Just use your wish, you know, because there's the Make-A-Wish Foundation, Mm -hmm. which grants wishes to dying children.
1: Hazel gets kind of quiet and she tells Gus that she's already used her wish. And I think Gus is just kidding in this next sentence, but he kind of puts his foot in his mouth because he's like, I hope you didn't use it on Disney and she's like, I was 13, okay? And it was a wonderful day. I got to meet Goofy. I know. Hazel and her parents are getting home one day. And when they pull into the driveway, Gus is standing there with a vase full of tulips. Yeah. And he's like, hey, let's go on a picnic. And she's like, right now? He's like, yeah, let's go on a picnic. Yeah. So she goes upstairs to change and while she's changing, Hazel's dad is sort of talking to Gus. And I don't know if he's trying to scare him off or just kind of prepare him.
0: Yeah. you know what I think? Because he was he was starting to say, hey, listen, you know, I know she acts like everything's fine. But yeah. she, she really struggles with her breathing. Mm-hmm. So I think her, da- her dad was just trying to give him a heads up. Like, she's never going to ask for help. Mm-hmm. She's never going to say that she can't do something. But you have to look out for her.
1: Yeah, her dad just basically her dad tells Gus like Hazel's really sick and she's going to be sick for the rest of her life. Yeah. She understands her limitations, but she's not always good at listening to her body. And Hazel 100% hears dad and she comes out. She's like, "All right, let's go."
0: And then dude, and then Gus proceeds to take this girl, you know, it's supposed to be a picnic. But he takes her on a long ass hike down a field. (laughs) And I was thinking, like, I I would be out of breath and I don't have lung disease. Like, what the hell?
1: To be fair, it does seem pretty flat and level because she's able to roll her oxygen tank fine. But just the distance wise, we don't know how far it was from the parking lot to their destination.
0: Yeah. Too long. If I can't see the parking lot, if I can't see the parking lot from my destination, we parked too far away. And I don't want to go. That's true. You're going to have to drop me off at the door.
1: (laughs) Gus takes her to this art exhibit that is in the park that is by a Swedish artist. It's called Funky Bones. He has a picnic and a picnic basket
0: and a blanket. Picnics are such a low cost date, you know? Yes. It's like, listen, if he wanted to, he would. Okay, because it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. how much money he makes. There are so many thoughtful date ideas that don't require money.
1: Mm -hmm. Peanut butter and jelly on a blanket in the park on a nice day. Yes. That sounds awesome. But also, like, I hate outside. So,
0: yeah. (laughs) Don't take me outside. Like, can we do that, but like, make it inside? Mm -hmm. That's why I'm obsessed with plants, with house plants. I just want the outside to not be outside. Yes. So, this date seems really random, but there was really a reason that Gus brought her out here. He has a kind of a surprise Mm -hmm. announcement to make to her.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because it kind of reminded me of like a woman trying to tell her husband that she's pregnant with like the clues he's giving. So, he takes her to a Swedish art exhibit. He has like Danish cheese and tomato sandwiches. Very and specific. Very specific. Um, and it's because while Hazel may have used her wish, our Gus did not use his.
0: Nope. Gus still has his final wish that he could cash in on. And so he did it. He cashed that in and he mm-hmm. said, Hey, organization who does this, I wanna I I wanna take my friend to Amsterdam to meet this author. That's my that's my final mm-hmm. wish. And uh, they tell him they're going to do it. They're going to set it up. And he tells, that's what he tells uh, Hazel on this date. And she is
1: ecstatic. She is so happy uh, because she has essentially, well, Gus has essentially um, found a solution to all of her mom's concerns regarding going to Amsterdam. The Make-A-Wish Foundation will... Hand out all the Sponsor it. Yeah, sponsor mm-hmm. it, including all the medical equipment, finding doctors, and paying for the flights and everything.
0: This boy has done more than any other guy in any other movie or book we have covered.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm just
0: saying, like, give him the panani, girl. Give him he, the whole panani. The, Put it on the panani press. <laughs> Don't even cut it in half. Don't take the, what is it called, the crust? Don't take the crust off. Give him yeah. the whole panani. Put your vagina on a plate and just hand it to him. Yeah, well, you know, he also admitted that he's a virgin Mm -hmm. when they were walking to the picnic.
1: Yeah, she's like, no, you're not. And he's like, listen, an 18-year-old dude with cancer and one and a half legs just does not scream
0: sex appeal. I beg to differ, but okay.
1: (laughs) I don't know if it's that night or in a short amount of time after their picnic, but Hazel has a medical incident where she has to be Taken to the hospital immediately.
0: Yeah, she wakes up in the middle of the night kind of just drowning in her own lungs. Mm -hmm. Um, And, girl, I have, like, the mildest asthma. Like, it's so, so mild. And I couldn't catch my breath during this scene because I know what it feels like to not be able to breathe fully. Mm -hmm. And it is the most terrifying thing in the world. It really is. Mm -hmm. So... Obviously, this is a very scary health crisis and, you know, Gus comes to the hospital and everyone's really scared. But, yeah, you know, Hazel Hazel pulls through. Kind of the worst part about this is that her doctors basically say she can't go to Amsterdam. Like, she's too
1: sick. Her whole team, her and her parents are all in a conference room talking about the medications and sort of how they're moving forward with this. And her condition is worsening, but the medication is still Mm -hmm. working. And Hazel's like, so if the medication is working, what about Amsterdam? And the doctor does not fuck around. He's like, no. Nein. Niet. No.
0: He really says, you can't go. You're too sick. And I'm just like, ugh. That is a punch to the gut. She gets in an argument with her parents about it to where
1: she tells them, like, I will never... Get this opportunity again. Yeah. Once because sometimes you just don't get second chances when opportunities pass you by, but also because she's probably going to die. Yeah. Listen, if she's just too sick to go, what's the worst case scenario?
0: That she'll die? She's going to die anyways. I can't imagine being a parent and having to make that decision because how can you mm-hmm. how can you live with yourself if you made a decision that directly led to your child dying ahead of time cuz you're trying yeah. to keep every keep them alive for as mm-hmm. many seconds as you can like until the last one.
1: Yeah. Um after this incident Hazel starts to sort of ghost Gus. She's not returning yeah. his text or his phone calls. And so she he just Gus just shows up at her house and she tells him that she doesn't want to hurt him. He's cancer free and he's probably gonna live longer than she will.
0: Yeah, she's like, Hey, you got through this, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I'm still here. I'm I'm still fighting cancer, and she actually says, I'm a grenade, and the least I can do is minimize the casualties. And oh, uh, that just got me. Um, it it was really
1: it was really sad for me because you can tell she really cares about
0: Gus. Yeah.
1: Gus, on the other hand, is like, nah, I'll
0: stay. Yeah. I'll stay. So what Hazel says basically is like, look, we can't have we can't be romantic. We have to be just friends, you know, mm-hmm. and they agree to remain friends. And I'm like, yeah, because that's how feelings work. Feelings respect boundaries. Feelings respect lines.
1: Um, You know what, Hazel, you're right. Feelings respect boundaries. I've never been done dirty by my own feelings. (laughs) Never. As I say, as it happens like four times a day. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, Hazel gets an email confirming details about Amsterdam. And she screams for her mom like, mom, mom. And
0: poor mom was in the shower. I know she keeps screaming for her mom. and Her mom keeps running in like, oh, my God, you're dying. And it's like, no, this is it. This is it.
1: And her mom runs upstairs wrapped in a towel. And Hazel's like, did you not tell them you canceled Amsterdam? Because I just got an
0: email about details.
1: Yeah. Like Hazel's not even like remorseful that she just pulled her mom out of the shower.
0: But the mom reveals that uh, surprise Hazel is going to Amsterdam because the mom made it work. Mm -hmm. She has doctors lined up. They can go for three days. Um, so Hazel just freaks out. She's so excited.
1: Mm-hmm. Her, Hazel is, this is the chance that she thought she lost, you know? And her parents made it happen because they want their daughter to be happy. I'm sure Gus played a role in the making it happen thing also because Gus also wants Hazel to be happy. Yeah, he really cares about her. And Gus... Audacity King, Mr. Leather Coat Swagger son of a bitch, rolls up to her house in a limo to take them to the airport. Gus has never flown before and he's like super nervous. And Hazel's holding his hand and her mom goes, You guys are so adorable. And Hazel tells her mom, We're just friends. And Gus goes, She is. I'm not. He's like, I don't
0: know. I don't know what this bitch is talking about, but that's my boo.
1: (laughs) That's my girlfriend. She's like, We're just friends. He's like, No. I'm going to marry her.
0: (laughs) Like, Gus is all in. Dude, they get to Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And Amsterdam is a beautiful city. It has a lot of greenery. It has all of these canals and bridges and tree-lined roads and kind of like this old, charming architecture, which is my favorite part about Europe in general. It's just the architecture is so beautiful. It sounds beautiful. So the author, because remember, they're there to meet the author of Hazel's favorite book, right? So she could get the answers that she's been dying for. And the author uh, made dinner reservations for them at a fancy restaurant.
1: Yeah, like they have this little like night on the town and at the restaurant,
0: they just pull out some champagne. They're eating the food and they're like, oh, my gosh, this food is so good, which is kind of the direct opposite of my experiences with like fancy restaurants because I feel like the really good food is usually hole in the walls. Yeah. And the fancy restaurants are probably, they usually don't taste like anything.
1: So someone told me once, I forgot who it was, if you fear for your life and your gut health when you walk into a restaurant, it's probably going to be really good food.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you should get your restaurant recommendations from Luke the lawyer and if you don't know who luke the lawyer is you need to go listen to episode what's the episode number go listen to that i dare you to lie episode yeah go listen to episode 14 and you're going to know who luke the lawyer is and why he has all of the best restaurant recommendations he knows the restaurants that make you make your body quiver (laughs) rock your body (laughs) Fuck your buddy. It's what Kevin Marone sing to me. Yeah. During this dinner, uh, they start talking about what happens when you die. Mm-hmm. Um, which Gus follows up by telling Hazel that he loves her in like this long dramatic monologue.
1: Yeah, he's not it's not just like I love you. He's like, I love you. I love you so much. Like I am So in love with you.
0: Yeah. I mean, he says, I am in love with you. Sorry. (laughs) And I just love that so much. Like, isn't that so, so accurate? It's like, we're not, it was an accident, dude. Like, sorry. I didn't mean to. I know we're supposed to be just friends. I didn't want to catch feelings, but it happened. You know, Hazel, it's the weirdest thing. You drew a boundary and my feelings kind of crossed those just spilled right over those. It's so weird. What did she expect?
1: The day has come and they're going
0: to meet the author. The author, the one that Hazel is obsessed with, the Uh book she's read a hundred times. I mean, I feel like we can't possibly explain what a big deal this is for her. Yeah. And for Gus, too, because he became a huge fan of the book as well. Yeah. Um, they go
1: to his house. His assistant answers the f- the door,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and she's like, hey, they're here. And the author goes, who's here?
0: Yeah. He does not sound thrilled. When the assistant says, hey, it's it's the kids that you, you were supposed to meet. And he's like, the Americans, get rid of them. Get rid of them. Yeah. Right off the bat, we're getting weird vibes. The mm-hmm. house is a total disaster. There's just papers littered everywhere it looks like a dump
1: yeah there's like stacks of like probably all his fan mail that he gets that just sets um, in the hallway
0: fan mail maybe like I, I got the impression bills. well it gave me the vibes of like a writer who keeps scrunching up what he wrote and throwing it across the room yeah and it just piles up mm-hmm. and also he is drinking and it's like the middle of the afternoon so 10 (laughs) a.m it's fine yeah and he had already said I think in in the email that he had no intentions on writing any more books Uh and so my question is how does this guy have an assistant and why does he have an assistant if he is not writing he has no interest Mm -hmm. in writing why does he have an assistant (laughs) to field all the
1: emails and fans probably oh god And they go and they have a seat on his
0: couch. And he starts playing this, like, techno rave music. He plays Swedish pop music for them for a painfully long time. Mm -hmm. And they are so confused. And he starts talking in riddles. And when Uh they're just like, I'm sorry, what is going on? He calls them stupid. Like, he starts insulting them. Like, Uh what the hell? And so Gus gets up and
1: turns off the music. And... He tells him, like, hey, like, you know, we're here for some answers that you said you would answer. He's like, there's nothing to answer. Yeah. Like, the book ends where it ends. There's nothing after that.
0: Yeah. Hazel is so frustrated because she's like, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. I know that the main character dies of cancer. I know Mm -hmm. that. But what happens to her family? What happens to her friends? What happens to her hamster? Like, she's like, the story doesn't end. What happens after? You know you're the writer. Like, tell me. Tell me what happened.
1: Yeah. And she's like, come Like, come on. This is what we came here for. And the author is not having it. He tells her that she that he's not going to pity her because she has cancer. And that's what she wants is for people to pity her. She's like, no, I just want what you promised me. And he tells her that she's still stuck at the 13 year old girl that got sick. And he and she still expects people to treat her like the sick child that she was.
0: Dude, he calls them a failed experiment in mutation. Mm-hmm. I feel for Hazel. She's basically like, dude, are you serious right now? Like, we came all this way. We're using, Mm -hmm. what is it, Make-A-Wish Foundation to make this happen. And you're being such an asshole. And for me, like, seeing how disgusting he behaves. Listen, this guy obviously has a drinking problem. I think this Mm -hmm. is rock bottom, my dude, okay? You're Mm -hmm. yelling at kids with cancer while they're in the middle of executing their last wish. Like, what in the actual fuck is wrong with you?
1: Yeah. That's a really subhuman thing to do. Horrendous. See, I could understand if the kids were being assholes. Like having cancer does not make you immune from the consequences of being an asshole. Right. Um, but when you're being polite and this was like a prearranged thing. Hazel and
0: Gus were not being rude or entitled. They were not. just they were just frustrated. Mm-hmm. You know, because they were invited into the home. They were sat down only to be berated and scolded and treated like crap. So, yeah, you know, of course, they're upset.
1: Yeah. Hazel and Gus storm out of the house and they are followed by the author's assistant. And she's like, I'm so sorry. She's like, he knew you were coming. I hoped that once you were here that, you know you would show him why he liked writing and he would answer your questions i'm so sorry
0: yeah i'm so sorry i used you guys you know mm-hmm. cancer kids i'm sorry i used you as a as a tool to try to cuz she says um circumstances have made him cruel. I mm-hmm. thought meeting you would help him. You know what? No excuse. No. I'm sorry. I. You don't get to hurt people because you are hurt. I used to have so much patience for people who hurt others when because they had trauma. Mm-hmm. But after being in therapy for a while, I don't have patience for that anymore. If you're an adult... Trauma isn't your fault, but it's your responsibility to work through. You yeah. don't get to be an asshole and hurt other people because you were hurt. That's not fair.
1: absolutely. And Gus and Hazel are sort of short with the assistant. They're like, you know, our day is like ruined. And she's like, you know what? She's like, no. she's like, let's still go have fun today. How about the Anne Frank house?
0: so the the author's assistant takes Gus and Hazel. To the Anne Frank House. First of all, the Anne Frank House is a multi-story building with no elevator. And so they both kind of stop and look at Hazel and her oxygen tank that she's wheeling around. And also Mm -hmm. her inability to really exert, you know, she can't really do like super hard things with half a lung.
1: I mean, yeah, they're worried about um, Hazel and her half a lung. um, But they're not worried about Gus and his half a leg.
0: He's fine.
1: He's fine. Hazel is insistent that she go she wants to carry her own oxygen tank she doesn't want people helping her which is exactly what her dad told Gus would happen
0: yeah dude I was like this is exactly how I would die it would be my pride you know making me insist I can do something I obviously can't
1: like literally like a golf cart with wings could have strolled by and asked her if she wanted to levitate to the next story she'd be like no I'm good I'm good She'd be like, how dare you? I can do it. I'm not dead yet. Um, While they're in the Anne Frank house, Hazel does, as expected, have a very hard time with the stairs and the ladders.
0: It's stairs after stairs after stairs after stairs. Uh It's crazy. There's
1: a ladder to get to the attic. Yeah. Yeah. She struggles. She's on the struggle bus right now. She's a hot mess. But Hazel makes it. You
0: know, I was thinking, like, now she has to go all the way down again. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. And she's standing in the attic of the Anne Frank house, and she's listening to, like, a narrator talk about Anne Frank's story over, like, the intercom. I think they're
0: not narrating. It's like this young girl's voice narrating Anne Frank's Frank's diary. Diary.
1: Yeah, And Hazel just sort of has this moment where... I think she feels powerful right now that she's standing in the attic of the Anne Frank house after just climbing all these stairs. And she's yeah. alive and she's in Amsterdam. And she just turns to Gus and just kisses him.
0: And I think it's her first kiss, and it might be his first kiss too. I think so too. It's like, you know, in the most depressing tourist attraction, probably second only to the Holocaust Museum. You know, they, they share their first kiss and everyone starts clapping. And I was kind of mortified. And a part of me kind of wished she would just die <laughs> like right there. Like, I was just like, OK, can you die now? Because I hate like when people acknowledge you publicly like that, like clapping. I like know. I can't stand with when restaurants bring out the cake and they start singing to you, like all that stuff. I I choose death. I choose that I would have flung myself down the stairs if I were her. See? For- <laughs> <laughs> I would have hopped right out of that little ladder hole and just plop right to the bottom. Yeah. The kiss leads to more because they uh, they go back to their to Gus's hotel room. It gets saucy.
1: Um zingy, not really spicy because this is a YA book, but it gets zingy. You can kind of taste this the little flavors coming up. It's like a white person tried to make something spicy.
0: Yeah. It's a, he mm, put some pepper on this? Mm. They use salt and pepper. What? Both? No. Yeah. Too much. Too Fancy. much. Fancy. They go back to Gus's hotel room mm-hmm. and uh they do the horizontal macarena. The the hokey pokey, You know, the the slippery man's salsa, you know, the the naughty two step. They do the old bumper grind. Yeah, they do the they do the spicy twerk. Mm-hmm. Huh? Spicy, spicy twerk. Spicy
1: twerk. I mean, twerk yeah. is already kind of spicy. Listen, you're right. So, Hazel spends the night in Gus's room.
0: Yep. Naughty, naughty. Naughty, naughty. It's, it was sweet and awkward and everything we could hope for, our girl. Yeah.
1: Listen, okay? I think that if... I don't know about you, but I know for me and maybe some of our listeners... If they were to recap their first time, I think that it would pale in comparison to being flown overseas to Amsterdam and having a lavish hotel room to yourself without fear of being caught. Like they they had it easy. They played the cancer card to get laid. <laughs> I mean,
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's true
1: If they told the Make It List Foundation that he, If Gus told him that all he wanted to do Was have a vacation with his girlfriend In a nice hotel room to have sex Do you think they would have did it?
0: Probably, they would have been like He has cancer They would have said yes, but we need a cover story for your parents So,
1: Yeah You know what? Good on them Good on them if they would do that And the next morning, they're at breakfast with Hazel's mom, who accompanied them on this trip and has just been letting two teenagers run around Amsterdam.
0: They're 17 and 18. They're fine.
1: You know what I mean? Gus just finishes recounting the incident with the author. And Hazel's mom is like, so, well, what did you guys do after that? What did you guys do last night? Yeah. And Gus and Hazel share a look, and they're like, oh, we just walked around the city. I mean, obviously, <laughs> they can't be like, we had sex. Oh, the vocal fry. We had sex. <laughs> you know you're going to make that your ringtone later, so don't even sit here and lie and laugh at it. <laughs> your mom's going to call. You're just going to hear sex. Oh, is that is that short for saxophone? No, it's sex. <laughs> sex. Augustus Waters cannot tell Hazel's mother that last night he deflowered her daughter in the hotel room directly next door to her while she was watching Say Yes to the Dress. Like, that's not (laughs) – the facts cannot be spoken. Their happy night and happy morning is about to take a real turn for the shit can. Like, it's about to go right in the dumpster.
0: They, they go on this walk around Amsterdam and find this bench and sit down, and then Gus reveals that right before Hazel had her health scare and ended up in the hospital, mm-hmm. he had a health scare, and it revealed that the cancer is back, and it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, he said he had a pain in his hip,
1: and after they did the testing and they looked at the results, it's not just where it was before it is all throughout his body and it, it is terminal at this point and he's going to die. He thought he was in remission and doing well. Um, oh my God. And it came back with a
0: vengeance. That's so unfair. You can mm-hmm. see how heartbroken he is to tell her this. And again, it's like, it's not enough to be dying, but you also have to feel guilty about dying.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, In the book,
1: He reveals that him and his parents had a huge argument about it um, because in the book, he's 17. And him and his parents have a huge argument about him going to Amsterdam because Mm -hmm. they understood how limited his time, his time alive was at this point. um, And he insisted on going. Wow. Yeah. This is like a really sad ending to their trip as they go back. I know. What a bummer. After they get back, this is a couple of days after they get back, Gus and Hazel are hanging out with Gus's friend, and he asks them both if they can write eulogies for him. Yes. Poor Gus is making his own funeral arrangements.
0: Gus is preparing for his inevitable death. It's mm-hmm. kind of just it's happening whether anyone wants it to or not. Mm-hmm. And he asks Hazel to write a eulogy for him. And he also asks his best friend. And, you know, at the time, I really didn't take it too seriously because the way he said it was just kind of very like very casual. Like mm-hmm. maybe you guys should write a eulogy for me. You know? Yeah. They both agree. Gus calls Hazel in the middle of the night from mm-hmm. a gas station, and he says something is wrong, something is wrong. She has to go out there yeah. to find him. She
1: hightails it out there, probably speeding, running red lights, running stop signs, as sh- we all would. And yeah. she gets to the gas station, and I guess his port site in his stomach for the chemo, um, it's infected. Oh God. Um, and Gus is emotionally, not just physically unwell at this point. Gus is emotionally unwell. He's sputtering. Yeah. He's crying. He I think there's a whole lot of reality hitting Gus right now.
0: It's so hard to see it too because he was always such a ray of sunshine. He was always mm-hmm. so happy and positive. And now you see him. Kind of just really letting go in front of Hazel. Like, mm-hmm. he's not trying to sugarcoat things. He's not like, I'm okay, I'm okay. He's not worried about her. Mm-hmm. He's fully in his pain.
1: And he's falling apart. And she is there to help him. Yeah. Um. She keeps telling him that she needs to call 911, and Gus is begging her not to. Um. But she does anyways. Yeah. Because she has to.
0: I mean, the prognosis is pretty bad. Um. He really is not doing well.
1: Yeah, she, Hazel's in the waiting room at the hospital and Gus's mom comes out to sort of give her an update and Gus's mom tells them that they're they're stopping treatment. Yeah. At this point, they're stopping the chemo and um I think they don't say this specifically at this point, um but essentially they have moved him to palliative care, which is just comfort measures only. Mm-hmm. Um and they're not Gus can't fight this this time.
0: At this point everyone is just waiting for him to die. And Gus gets sent home, Hazel takes him on a picnic where he took her. He's in a wheelchair now, so this poor girl is not only hiking that little trail, she's also pushing mm-hmm. his wheelchair down that trail. Um yeah. And he says the most heartbreaking things during this picnic because mm-hmm he was not banking on getting cancer again. He thought he had closed that chapter in his Mm -hmm. life.
1: Yeah, he says that he was supposed to be special. Um, And he had these huge plans to have a great life, you know, that he was going to be somebody that people remembered.
0: Yeah, it made me think of this quote, and I don't know who said it, but it's something like, We live on in the hearts of all the people we leave behind. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like you don't die until the last person who remembers you dies. That's when you really die.
1: That's, I think I've heard a version of that before, but never put like that. I like it. Hazel kind of loses her cool just a little bit with Gus. She's like, what is your obsession with being remembered and being special? Like, why? Yeah. Why? Like, you're special
0: to me. Why can that not be enough? I think she's frustrated because she's realizing that he wants something she can't give him. He wants this nor- notoriety. He wants mm-hmm. kind of like, he. it's almost like he wants to be famous. You know, he wants to be extraordinary. And he wants to be that top, that you know, that 0.5% of the population That is a household Mm -hmm. name or something. And it's like, if those are your goals, you're bound to be disappointed. Because the majority of us are just average and there's nothing freaking wrong with average. Yeah.
1: Hazel gets a call from Gus that was like, hey, come
0: to this church. She's like, now? He's like, yeah, now. So Gus is basically like, Hey, remember how I asked you to write my eulogy? Uh, yeah, I need you to bring it. No reason. Don't worry about it. Just just come. Come to this church. Get in the car.
1: <laughs> yeah, they show up. It's Gus, Hazel, and Gus's best friend.
0: Yeah, they're all yeah, they're all in a church, and he's like, All right, well, you guys wrote these eulogies and I, I want you to read them for me. I was like, Yeah, it would be nice to know what people would say about me after I die. I kind of do want to hear my eulogies, you know? But then the second thought was, I don't know, because can you imagine you're reading someone their eulogy and then they have notes or they like critique it? (laughs) You know what I mean? Or like, what if they hate it?
1: Listen, I don't want to know what other people say about me while I'm alive. I will wait until I'm dead and I will be at my funeral in ghost form, which is also what Gus (laughs) hopes to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, goals. Everyone wants to yeah. kind of peek in on their funeral. But my other thought was, um, what if she had, because remember, he asked her and his best friend very casually, like, hey, you guys should start writing eulogies for me. What if she had procrastinated writing it? And then he called her, like, hey, bring that eulogy. And, and she's, she's like, like oh, fuck. oh, shit. Now I got to come up with something in 15 minutes. <laughs>
1: Hazel is not a procrastinator like we are. Um I guess not. She has the urgency because she's gonna die. So she
0: That's what we're missing. Yeah. We're fucking vampires. We've been alive for like so many decades. Like so many goddamn decades.
1: <laughs> like three. Yes. Best friend gives his eulogy, which is I it feels like the eulogy that a younger brother would give to an older brother. Like Aww. it's very like I love you, fuckhead. You know? Yeah. It really has that vibe. Um, and then Hazel gets up, and Hazel starts her eulogy.
0: It's a really beautiful speech. Very beautiful.
1: I have a whole lot of notes on it, um, but I'm oh. only going to give you a little bit. Okay. And it was, she starts it off with, Augustus Waters was the star-crossed love of my life. Oh, my God. And that's all you need to know about the tone of the eulogy.
0: Ah, uh, it's, it's about their epic love story, basically.
1: Yeah. To where what kind of fucking sadist was, like, to a cancer survivor, and then a girl who is actively dying of cancers, get, check this out, we're going to make them fall in love. Hear me out. <laughs> Hear me out. We make them fall in love. Hey, first kiss
0: and Frank House, okay?
1: Yeah. Um. Then, you know what? He thinks she's going to die, but you know what? We're going to flip the script right right at the end. And then he is going to die first. Yeah. You know what? Keep them on their toes. (laughs) (laughs) You want to know what kind of sadist comes up with this? John Green. John Green. John Green. We should all check on Hank Green, who's John's brother, to make sure he's okay. (laughs) Because, like, if this is the kind of mind that you grew up with, like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are
0: you okay? <laughs> you okay? Um, this part is really, it gets really rough right now. Because mm-hmm. eight days later, a call comes in in the middle of the night. And mm-hmm. Hazel hears her dad answer. And by the time her parents enter her room, she's already crying. She knows. Because she knows. You know, this is when it kind of hit me. That people all over the world right at this very minute are living their lives all the while kind of knowing that at any moment they could get a phone call mm-hmm. telling them that their loved one died. Yeah.
1: Her parents open the door and turn on her light. Hazel's already crying because she knows that Gus is gone. Yeah. Um, and as Hazel's getting ready for his funeral, you know, there's a time elapse here. She's talking about how she's been in hospitals so so many times, you know, because yeah. she has cancer. And every single off every single hospital visit starts off with on a scale of 1 to 10, how much pain are you in? And she talks about this one time where she was 14 and she couldn't breathe and she couldn't talk and the nurse asked her how much pain are you in and she held up 9 fingers. And the nurse yeah. says, "I know you're a fighter." Because you called a 10 a 9.
0: Yeah, she said, I didn't call a 10 a 9 because I was brave. I was doing it because I was saving my 10. Yeah. She grieves really hard. And honestly, like, I don't know how people survive grief. Like, I I don't know how we survive it. Like, we do. We survive grief. But in the moment, it literally feels like it's killing you.
1: Yeah. Grief is extremely hard. Um. At Gus's funeral, she doesn't even deliver her eulogy. She says something completely different. And the author that they flew to Amsterdam to see is actually there. He shows up to the funeral.
0: Oh, God. Hazel is not happy to see him because it's like, fuck off, dude. You were his one Mm -hmm. wish and you were awful to him. But, yeah, like you said, when... When Hazel gives the eulogy, she completely changes it. Mm -hmm. Um, She just gives a completely different eulogy. And she explains later that she did it to give everyone comfort. So she essentially rewrites history to spare other people pain. Like she tells everybody that he was in great spirits until the very end and that he was positive. Mm -hmm. Like she's painting this rosy picture because she's like, I already gave my speech to Augustus, to Gus. I already gave my speech to Gus. He heard what I think and how I feel. These people just need, you know, they just need comfort right now. And I'm going to give that to them.
1: Yeah. She says funerals aren't for the dead. They're for the living. And after the funeral, her parents ask her if she's coming home. And she says that she just wants to go drive around for a while. That She needs to clear her head. She needs to be alone. And
0: she doesn't get that right away because
1: The author guy just hops in her car with his flask.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's still day drinking and he hops right into her car uninvited. And she is not, she's not about it.
1: No, she is this, she's, she's hurting really bad right now and she's not here for his
0: bullshit. The author guy tells her that him and Gus have been exchanging emails pretty much until the very end. Mm Mm-hmm. And that Gus played the cancer card to get him to come to his funeral just to tell Hazel what happens after the the book ends.
1: And at this point, Hazel's like, I don't fucking care. Get out of my car and leave me alone. And the author admits that the book is based loosely off of his eight-year-old daughter who has passed away about her struggle with cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And Hazel's like, I'm very sorry for that situation you were in and for the loss of your daughter. Now get the fuck
0: out of my car. Yeah. Again, not an excuse. I'm sorry you went through a traumatic event, but it Mm -hmm. does not excuse you being a terrible human being. He was awful and he was cruel. He was. He tries to give Hazel a letter, mm-hmm. and she bunches it up and just flings it across her car. And
1: she just screams at him, get out of my car, get out of my car, get out of my car, until his drunk ass um, finally gets out of the car. And she does, she tells him that she doesn't want anything from him, that he's a drunk failure,
0: and
1: to basically fuck off. And he fucks off.
0: Well, that letter he was trying to give her, mm-hmm. she finds out later that the letter isn't from the author. No. The letter is from Augustus.
1: Yeah, it's an email that Gus wrote to the author. Um, and he says, you know what? I'm a shitty writer and a good person. However, you're a good writer and a shitty person. So together, we we make probably make a good team.
0: Yeah, he basically, Gus asked for help to write Hazel's eulogy because he Mm -hmm. wanted to write an epic eulogy for her. Yeah. And he did. He wrote a beautiful eulogy for Hazel. He says a lot of really beautiful and mushy stuff, but one really random thing he said that really kind of struck me is he said, he says, she's funny without ever being mean. Mm -hmm. And dude, that is such goals because it's so easy to just be mean in a joke mm-hmm. because it's kind of like low hanging fruit and it's just yeah. so easy. And for someone to be funny without ever being mean, mm-hmm. I was like, man, that's goals. I want to be like that.
1: Yeah. As Hazel is reading this eulogy and thinking back about her time with Augustus, um, that's where this movie leaves us is a Beautiful moment where Gus has come back from beyond the grave, metaphorically, um, to give Hazel a little bit of comfort.
0: Yeah. Well, she was obviously not expecting mm-hmm. this eulogy from him. And so it was just really amazing to have that immortalized forever what he thinks of her and what mm-hmm. he would have said after she dies. Um Courtney, what do you have to say for yourself for making us watch this heart-wrenching movie? Um, I would like my attorney, please. <laughs> do you know it's funny? When I told um, my husband that we were—he said, what are you guys doing next? And I said, well, it's a movie about two kids with dying of cancer. And if I could have taken a picture of his face, <laughs> it was so funny. He was, like, literally, like, are you, are you kidding? And I was like, No. No, I said no, and he said, "How are you guys going to make that funny?" And I'm like, "Listen, there are true crime comedy podcasts. I think it. I think we'll be okay with fictional characters." <laughs> yeah, I think we're okay. Well, guys, uh, the teapot died, and yep. there's no more tea. Mm-mm. The tea is now a ghost, and uh, that's all we have for today. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Do
1: you have your deathbed book picked out? Because I have mine. Courtney, I
0: can't with you. This is why Lexapro doesn't want to sponsor us. (laughs) It's your fault.
1: Maybe it was the fisting joke and why they don't want to sponsor us. Maybe they were ready and then they heard fisting and they just changed their mind. (laughs) Maybe it's the diarrhea jokes. We'll never know. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe they've heard all of our toaster jokes and they're like, you know what? Lexapro is not working for them. (laughs)